abandoned. Do you ever feel the emotion of being abandoned? Like say it with me wherever you're watching, abandoned. Come on, like just, I, need, I need your help today wherever you're listening or watching. I want us to just kind of sink this in, okay, today. Abandoned. Like maybe for instance, when you ask your kids to do some chores and it's springtime and it's time to clean up the dog poop outside of the yard and you look around and there's no one to be found. They've scattered all over the place. Abandoned. Or, or maybe you get stuck with the check at dinner because they forgot their wallet and they've left you high and dry. You feel abandoned. Or you were really looking forward to that hot date and you showed up and they never showed up. Abandoned. Or maybe your coworker left you to finish the project at work all on your own. Abandoned. Or maybe you were on a trip with some friends or some family members and they took off and left the area and they left you behind and you just were looking around feeling like abandoned. Or, or, or maybe you were a newborn baby and, and, your, and your newfound father, just trying to figure it out, went to the mall, left you in the car parking lot, just straight up forgot about you. Sorry to my son, Tristan, you know, I love you. Abandoned, maybe you have felt that way before. Feeling deserted feeling cast off, left without the protection of care is an emotion that all of us have had to face, that all of us have had to deal with or will deal with in the future. We can't escape the feeling of being forsaken or being abandoned. Maybe you feel like you have been abandoned by your parents in a real way, where, where you felt like they were just, you know, uh, you know, they just didn't want anything to do with your life. Or maybe recently you felt abandoned by your spouse because they wanted something different or someone different. Or, or maybe it was because of a friend, like you were there in their trials, you were there in their heartache, but now that you're dealing with some stuff and your heartache and your trials, they're nowhere to be found and you feel abandoned. Or maybe if you're honest, you feel abandoned by God. You feel completely forsaken by God because of something that you've gone through or you're going through right now and you didn't sign up for it and you go to him and he just feels distant. He feels like he's absent. You try, you don't hear anything. Every prayer that you say just feels like it's bouncing all over the ceiling and you feel abandoned and you're frustrated by that and you just want a word. You just want a sentence. You just want some assurance that he's still there. But it's almost like he's playing a good game of hide-and-go-seek, and you're like, okay, time's up. Come out. Where are you? But it's like God has left the building. And so wherever you're at on that journey of that emotion today of abandonment, today we're going to dive into this emotion of feeling abandoned, feeling forsaken. And today, seriously, we're going to look at, no joke, the most grandest, the most loneliest, the most darkest moment of abandonment that has ever existed or will ever exist on the face of the earth. And as we dive into that moment, we're going to see how that moment can actually be our hope and how that moment can actually be our remedy when we go through our greatest moments of despair and abandonment. But before we do, I want to pray for you and pray for me. So Father, we thank you for getting us to a space to just listen to what you have for us. And I ask that your word would speak to all of us wherever we're watching, whenever we're watching this, and uh, help us to just not miss it. Get me out of the way. I pray that you'll control my speech. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you, open it up to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, really easy to find, the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45 and 46 is what we're going to be looking at in our context here. Now, 
What we've been doing is we've been, if you're just catching up, we've been looking at the last seven words, the last seven utterances of Jesus uh, before he died on the cross. Because we know that last words have meaning. Last words have significance. If you live a certain way, you're going to die a certain way. If you live with hope, you're going to die with hope. If you live in despair, you're going to die with despair. And so last words have significance and meaning. And so what we're doing, the reason why we're doing this, is that we believe that these impactful, lasting words have the ability to have a lasting impact on our own lives. And we're doing this so we can prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday that's coming up here soon. And so we're peering into these last seven statements that we find all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And scholars have compiled these into a structure so that we can remember the amazing work of Jesus on the cross. And so let's peer into the window of these seven last statements. Uh, here they all are, all are in unison. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so today we're going to be looking at this one right here, the fourth one, the one that's in the middle, the one that has been known to be the center to kind of pull them all together, is the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first three were, were all about others, and the last four here are more internally what he is facing, what he is going through. And again, the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me has been an anchor pulling them all together. And so here is where we get this in Matthew 27, verse 45. Let's kick into it. It says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now what we have to understand and remember is this is Jewish time. And so you see the sixth hour is around noon and the ninth hour is around three o'clock. And so this is when the sun was at its peak. This is when the sun is at its greatest and something supernaturally happened and darkness came all across the land. And that Greek word land there is not just a little specific part of land. That is like a massive area of land. And even skeptics uh, um, in, in, in science are in agreement that something supernatural happened in darkness that came across the earth at this time in 33 AD when Jesus died. It's unbelievable the proof and the evidence of these actions of, of what we're reading actually taking place. It continues in verse 46. And about the ninth hour, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? And what we have to notice is that this is the first time and the only time that Jesus refers to God as God instead of Father. This is the first and the only time that, that Jesus doesn't call God the Father, showing us that the fellowship that there is a broken fellowship happening here. Remember, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Before this moment, 
This was an isolation. This was a separation that was taking place. Why? Because the sin of the entire world was falling upon Jesus. And God cannot have a hint of sin, can't have anything to do, not a speck of sin around him. So right now there's trouble in the Godhead. There was a cry of despair. There was a damning like no other upon Jesus. And so these were terrifying words. This, my friends, is the darkest moment that I was talking about. This is the darkest, greatest example of forsaking and abandonment that has ever taken place here on the face of the earth. And I want us to just kind of sit here in this moment for a little bit. I want us to just just literally think about what this moment represents. I want us to just kind of literally imagine Jesus saying these words while he was being brutally murdered on a cross. And, you know, one of the best depictions of the crucifixion of the cross was Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And so I grabbed just an audio clip of him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Aramaic, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani. So just take a moment and listen to the words of Jesus and try to picture it. I mean, letting that sink in, allowing us for a moment to let the words sink in. I mean, imagine being at the foot of the cross. I mean, the picture of him on the cross, for many of us, we would have a hard time stomaching it. The, his flesh literally just so brutally ripped apart, whipped, flogged with a cat of nine tails like no other. People said he was even unrecognizable because of how much flesh was ripped off of him. And then with all of his strength, shouts out and what it took for him to even say those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine this moment. This line has troubled people though. This line has troubled people of the faith and people that are not of the faith, wondering why would God forsake his son? Or if Jesus is God, why would he question himself? If he really is God, why would he ask such a question? And so let's, let's dive into that. Why Jesus questioned the forsaking? Why did this happen? Why did Jesus question the forsaking on the cross? I mean, didn't he already know the answer? Well, the answer is yes. He did know the answer. He already knew the answer. Jesus was not surprised by this at all. We're reminded of this before Jesus was arrested. And John 18, 4, where it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And so this was not a question of him literally looking for an answer. This was him expression. This was him expressing. This was an expression of the horror of the abandonment that he was feeling. He was literally venting out the agony that he was feeling, the despair that was over him. But what we also must remember is that he wasn't just saying this statement flippantly. He wasn't just like coming up with this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me out of nowhere? We have to remember that he was quoting from one of his worship songbooks. And he was not only just quoting it, he was actually fulfilling it. Psalm 22.1. Let me just read it. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Sound familiar? Well, it sounds familiar to us, right? Because we're, we're in it. But those that were Jewish people, that were practicing Jewish people, they didn't have the New Testament, but they knew of Psalm 22. When Jesus said this, this would be familiar to them. They, 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 they knew, they're like, wait a second, we've heard this before. And what's amazing about Psalm 22 is that there's 11 other prophecies that Jesus predicted in that very psalm. Here's just a couple, just to give you some examples. In verse 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verse 16, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Uh, Verse 18, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And what's also so crazy that sometimes we forget is that when David wrote Psalm 22, this was a thousand years before Jesus. And not only that, it was also 200 years before the idea of crucifixion was even invented. After the Persians invented it and the Romans perfected it, David wrote these words. And yet the specific detail of execution that was being prophesied is just incredible and mind-blowing to say the least. But also we have to know is that Jewish people listening, they knew the end of the psalm. They, they, they not only knew the beginning, but they could finish the sentence. They could finish and know what the ending of Psalm 22 was. And they knew that how it ended, it was with triumph. They knew how it ended was with victory. And guess what? Jesus knew it too. So he wasn't questioning it. He had a finished sentence. And, and here is some of the finishing sentence of Psalm 22. Let's just read it. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For your royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. So again, Jesus wasn't questioning. He was expressing the horror of the pain of separation between him and his father. Because this was such a deep, agonizing moment. This was a separation of a sacred communion and fellowship being ripped. However, remember, he had the unfinished sentence at the tip of his tongue because he knew how the psalm ended. In the same way, this should be a reminder to us, friends, that in our moments, in our most forsaken, abandoned moments in our lives, there's always an unfinished sentence. When we feel forsaken, when we feel alone, when we feel like, what in the heck are we going to do? There is an unfinished sentence. There is victory. There is triumph when we are God's children. We have to remember that he will never forsake us, that he will never leave us. And so even though we can fill in the blank, even though A, B, or C, you feel in the blank, then you remember to finish the sentence. Don't make it a period. Make it a comma. And you say out loud in your heart, my God will never leave me or forsake me. When you say, even though I'm not sure how I can overcome this, you shout, my God will never leave me nor forsake me. When you feel so lonely, you finish the sentence, my God will never leave me or forsake me. When you feel like all seems lost, when you're wondering, how am I going to crawl out of this hole? When the fear seems so overwhelming, you don't stop with a period. You keep the sentence going and you say, but my God will never leave me 
or forsake me. Finish the truth. Finish the sentence. With God, there's always victory. Through Jesus, there's always triumph. And remember, that doesn't mean that you're not going to experience the suffering. That doesn't mean that you're not going to experience trials. In fact, we know he's promised us that we will. In this world, you will have troubles, but take hearts that he has overcome the world. He says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Don't be surprised by the pain. Don't be surprised, but remember there's victory on the other side of the cross. As Jesus followers, maybe you've been questioning Maybe you've been wondering where God's at. Maybe you've been doubting. I want to encourage you today. Maybe this is all you need to hear today. Cast your doubt aside. Lay it down. Finish the sentence. Hold on to the truth that my God will never leave me or forsake me. Another thing that we must recognize is that God did forsake the Son. For that brief moment in time, on that cross, God turned his back on Jesus. Why? Why? Because we needed the forsaking of Jesus. You and I, the entire world, we desperately needed the forsaking of Jesus. Because in that moment, he was bearing the judgment. He was bearing all of God's wrath and anger for the sin of the world was literally being poured onto him. This is hard for us to imagine the pain and anguish that Jesus was feeling. Again, literally, literally being damned for us. 2 Corinthians 5.22, remember, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, that was Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, it's as if God treated the Son as if he lived your life. That he, he literally lived your sin. Literally, he literally took on all of your baggage and all of your mistakes and traded it and exchanged it and treating us like we lived his perfect life. It's literally known as the great exchange. Oh, the power of the great exchange. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Remember, Jesus had to be forsaken for a moment so that we would never be forsaken for a moment. Jesus had to be forsaken for a moment so that we would never be forsaken for a moment. He tasted death for all of us. He experienced the anguish and the separation so that we could truly find life. He went through the darkness so that we could experience light. He went through the wrath so that we could literally escape it. And when we hear the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It should literally always stir up and raise up an awareness and an appreciation and a reverence and a humility and of awe. And it ought to make the hardest, most stubborn heart against God pause for a moment and consider and bow down to the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, have you grown numb to the idea of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you taken advantage of specific areas of the grace that is offered to you on the cross? Remember, he had to be forsaken so that we would not be forsaken. There is no other way. May that sink in. And when you get frustrated by your feelings of forsakenness, and when you get frustrated by your trials, remember that in every trial that you face, Jesus can relate because he took on the suffering willingly. He 
took on the suffering so that we ultimately could escape the suffering. It also reminds me when we talked about Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, 6, it's, it's unbelievable. I just, I, I just check this out. In Psalm 22, it says this. It says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. You know, God's been given many titles, but a worm? I mean, that just doesn't seem right. Because, right, when we think worm, we think this. Like, we're thinking about a worm. We're thinking about a maggot. So what in the world is going on? And so for us to get a little help on this, we're going to have to get a little Hebrew lesson today. And so in Hebrew, the word for worm is ramah. And the word ramah is the idea of a maggot. It's like what we see right there. But here in Psalm 22, he didn't use the word ramah. He used the word tola. The word tola, which means the crimson worm or the scarlet worm or what you see here, the crimson crocus. The crimson crocus lives in the area of Israel and lived back then and is still in existence today. And the crimson crocus is a very, very unique little creature and does something very symbolic and see if you can pick up on the symbolism. You see, in antiquity, they would actually use the crimson crocus because it's they, after they would take the crimson crocus's body uh, right after it died and they would crush it to get the red dye to go out of it to stain clothes, to make things in ribbon and silk, to change it to a different color. It was used actually for medicine as well. It's very expensive. But in order for the crimson crocus to make new life, to offer new life, every time when the mother would go and have babies, it would always attach itself to a tree. And after it would give birth, always in birth, it would then die. But before it would die, it would excrete a red dye onto its children and then leave it left behind on the tree. And it would be permanently onto its children. And you would leave, like you see here, a redness onto the tree. But what's really interesting is that the mother's body would then turn from a red into a very, very pure white. The sun would bleach uh, the red out of the crimson crocus's body of the mother, and then it would turn into white and then fall to the ground. And the same thing would happen to the tree. The tree would be red for a season, but then quickly would turn to white. How many days do you think it took for the crimson crocus body to go from red to white or when the tree would be washed from red to white? You guessed it, three days. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up three days. But as we know, the blood of Jesus isn't just a dye used to stain clothes. The blood of Jesus covers our sin permanently. And then because Jesus rose from the dead three days later, it makes us white as snow and offers us eternal life. Oh, how we need the forsaking of Jesus. Do you realize how much you need it? Do you realize how powerful it is? Have you abandoned the logic of it? After Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It continues. I want to read the rest of this section. 
Check this out. It says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Even in spite of all that they saw, even in spite of everything that they knew and heard about Jesus and witness, people still rejected him. People still mocked him. They forsake him. They disregarded him. And we don't know what the reasons were. Maybe it was because of pride. Maybe it was because they needed more information. Maybe it was because they were confused. Maybe one day they actually believed in him when they saw the resurrected Jesus. We don't know. We're not sure what their excuses were for rejecting and forsaking Jesus. But please know, if you don't hear anything else today, please make no mistake about it. When it comes to you or me forsaking God or forsaking Jesus, in the end, there will be no excuse. There will be no excuse. We're reminded of this in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made like the crimson crocus. So they are without excuse. God has revealed himself through creation, but even more so, he has revealed himself through Jesus. And in the end, there will be no excuse. Which then leads us to the last question. Are you forsaking Jesus? Are you casting him off? Are you pushing him and ignoring him and and separating him from your life? And if you are, I just need you to know that in the end, when you leave this earth or when Jesus comes back because he's coming back someday, when that day comes, if you reject Jesus as your king, I hate this part, but it's the truth. He will forsake you. He'll never forsake one of his children, but for those who reject him, he will forsake them. And there'll be no excuses. The scriptures say that many will say that they prophesied in my name, but I'll look at them and say, depart, for I never knew you. Depart, for I never knew you. I pursued you. I revealed to you myself over and over and over again, but you kept pushing me off. You kept forsaking me. And so if you've been forsaking Jesus, I just wanna encourage you, let this be the day that you stop doing it. Let this be the day, if you are forsaking Jesus, let this be the day that you'll finally let go and surrender to him and stop making excuses. Take advantage of the most unbelievable, desperate, abandoned moment, forsaken moment, when for a moment, God, Jesus, separated for that moment so that you would never have to be separated from God again. Aren't you tired of being separated from God? He separated himself for a moment so that you would never have to be separated from God again. God loves you so much. Died for you. That's why he came. 
rose from the dead to bring you back, to be in relationship with you. And so if you wanna stop pushing Jesus away and forsaking Jesus and rejecting him, then let's take care of it right now. Scriptures say that all who call upon the name of the Lord and believe in their heart will be saved, will be saved. And so if that's you, I just wanna invite you to invite Jesus into your life, receive him as your savior. Just say, Father, here I am, I'm done forsaking you. Here I am, Father, I'm done rejecting you. And so instead of rejecting you, today's the day that I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And so I confess my sin, I lay it at your feet, I lay it at your cross, and I thank you for dying for me. Tell him that. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for rising again for me. I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, please, please know that because of your faith in Jesus today, that he will never forsake you. And now your life lasts forever. Father, thank you so much for the gift of knowing you. Thank you for what that means for us. Thank you for allowing yourself for a moment to be forsaken so that we as your children would never have to be forsaken. What a gift. Thank you for doing what you did for us. It's unbelievable. We pray this in the power of your son's name. Well, listen, if you made a decision to receive Jesus as your savior, please don't walk alone. Like, I beg you. Our vision is helping people move towards God. And so you can just grab the word on the screen and just let us know. And we want to celebrate with you and then answer any questions that you might have.